This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. The Exorcist came out 50 years ago, and it's still widely considered one of the greatest horror movies of all time. Now, The Exorcist Believer serves as both a reboot and a sequel. It's got a mostly new cast of characters, but it also brings back Ellen Burstyn to return to her iconic role from the original film. But how does the new one stack up? I'm Stephen Thompson. Today, we are talking about The Exorcist Believer on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today is NPR producer Mark Rivers. Hey, Mark. Hey, Stephen. Great to be back. Also with us, Jordan Cruciola. She's a writer and producer and the host of the podcast Feeling Seen on Maximum Fun. Hey, Jordan. Hello. Happy October. Happy to be back with you. Happy to have you. Also rounding out the panel, Switched On Pop producer Rihanna Cruz. Hi, Rihanna. Hey. It's great to have you all here. So The Exorcist Believer takes place 50 years after the events of the original film in which a young girl is possessed by demonic forces. This time around, Two girls are possessed after they take a walk into the woods. Angela, played by Lydia Jewett, is the daughter of a widowed single father named Victor, played by Leslie Odom Jr. Angela and her friend Catherine, played by Olivia O'Neill, disappear for three days, only to be found with no memory of their experience. As you might suspect, they soon exhibit telltale signs of possession. The body in the blood. The body in the blood. Catherine. The body in the blood. The girl's parents seek help, which leads to a variety of religious interventions, thanks in part to Victor's neighbor, a nurse played by Anne Dowd. And Victor is compelled to seek the counsel of Chris McNeil, played by Ellen Burstyn. Her daughter Reagan was possessed in the very first Exorcist movie. Soon enough, it's priests and incantations and Catholic iconography all the way down, as parents, community members, and religious figures work to purge the forces of possession. The Exorcist Believer was directed and co-written by David Gordon Green, whose recent work includes return to the Halloween franchise, and as with those Halloween films, The Exorcist Believer is intended to be part of a new trilogy. The film is in theaters now. Rihanna Cruz, I'm going to start with you. What do you think of The Exorcist Believer? This might be a little bit controversial, but I I, I liked it. I, I definitely felt the length of the movie, but that's my primary drawback. I, I thought it was a pretty great horror movie by current 2020s horror movie standards, I didn't feel particularly scared, but I, I thought the acting was great, the plot was pretty great, and I was pretty on board with the maximalism aspects of it all, like the bigger the better 50 years later. Mm-hmm. What gets me about horror is when a movie is like unafraid to go there, and there were parts during Believer that I gasped in the theater because it, it did go there, so I can't really complain, you know? Perfect three and a half star horror movie <laughs> for me. All right, Jordan Cruciola, how about you? I think for the first time in my pop culture happy hour life, I am going to say that I didn't like the thing that I'm on here to talk about. But almost like saying I didn't like it almost affords the movie more of an emotional credit than I can give it for me personally. I was uh, with another journalist sitting next to me when I watched it. And when it ended, I was like, I kept waiting for the movie to start. And now it's done. Mm. And now it's done. And the acting, full props to the acting. The the cast does an excellent job. These little girls are giving it their all. There were two particular choices where I was like, all right, all right, that's a big swing. And I (laughs) will nod to that. 
But outside of those sort of isolated moments of like, I this one just really left me cold. And I hope it is the end of this attempted trilogy reboot of The Exorcist. Yeah, Jordan, I'm right there with you. I mean, Brianna, I think it's interesting that you said that you were surprised by the places that I was willing to go. I just feel like the original Exorcist already went to mm. all the places that, that mm. a movie like this would go. And if The Exorcist didn't go there, Talk to Me from this year went there. Or mm. The Conjuring. Or pick any number of totally. movies that have existed under the shadow of The Exorcist. But at this point, this just felt like a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox. And with each new copy, the ink looks more and more faded with this movie. I kept on waiting for it to do something different. Mm. Like By the time we got to where I think Green found an end to this story... That in, I just did not buy at all. And I am baffled by the direction that David Gordon Green's career has taken from like, <laughs> you know, like, like that he has just decided that his new mission is to just like retcon these like horror franchises with these like pseudo serious takes. <laughs> it has not been a successful mission to me. And yeah, I, I was out in this movie. I do think he seems to have taken it upon himself to look at some of these iconic horror franchises and decide to revisit them while a few of members of the principal cast are still around to participate. And I think he sees some of the power in like bringing somebody back 50 years later and kind of revisiting how the events of the original film might have affected these characters. I think he is legitimately interested in that. But I had some of the same issues. I think it's very well acted. I think they got a pretty dynamite cast all mm. the way down. I mean, Alan Burstyn, yeah. obviously. Leslie Odom Jr. is great. And Dowd. Wow. You got Ann Dowd in your movie. Ann Dowd's doing her whole Ann Dowd thing. Yeah. <laughs> She's great. Both the girls, I think, are really solid. For me, every horror franchise is a Rorschach test mm. in a lot of ways. Like They're taking some like fundamental trauma, some fundamental fear that the audience might have, and they magnify it and point it back at you. And how you have lived your life and your perspective is going to color how strongly you respond to the horror franchise in question. I was emphatically not raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. I think the original Exorcist is terrific. Mm-hmm. When that movie came out, people were freaking traumatized. Mm-hmm. My mom. Oh, yeah. For me, like, I just don't have any of that foundation. So watching a movie about demonic possession is just going to butt up against the ceiling of like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that. So, mm-hmm. but I think it's not just like about the, the Catholic angle, right? I mean, I think The Exorcist really falls in line with a number of movies of that era. You know, in that post-Vietnam Manson murders student protest era of just like essentially the center cannot hold. You know, like mere anarchy has been loosed, and this this was like such a wonderful encapsulation, or just a part of that encapsulation of that time. Mm. I mean, Stephen, you mentioned the T word trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, their last franchise that he retconned Halloween. You know, there were a bunch of jokes about Jim Lee Curtis. Well, you know, it's actually about trauma. It's actually about trauma. (laughs) I think here it is also trying to be about something. It is trying to create a kind of allegory of religious solidarity or solidarity across different religions that it does not earn at all. You mentioned the cast. I think the acting is fine, but the the writing is not there. I don't know why they brought Ellen Burstyn back for this beyond just like we have, we got Ellen Burstyn and like to to kind of pat on the back. They kind of, they bring her in and then she's ushered right back out. I think it was a complete waste of her, her character, her abilities. And yeah, I think the messages that this movie was trying to convey completely fell flat for me and just did not seem based in like actually living in this country. And Rihanna, I want to hear why you like it because I'm really glad you do. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, if I'm allowed to play devil's advocate, please. You are encouraged. I'm a big advocate of like smooth brain content, particularly horror movies. (laughs) 
You know what I mean? And like, that's kind of why I didn't really mind the whole like, oh, all religions come together aspect (laughs) of this movie. Because like, I didn't think about it too hard. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, oh, okay, this makes sense. All these different characters come together for the big scene at the end. And then that was like it for me. Mm. But I will say like, it was gesturing at these bigger themes that I I agree, like they did fall flat. But I just kind of like was like, oh, okay. And then, you know, I like moved on. And I think that's similar to like how I felt about the Halloween movies because I enjoyed the Halloween reboot. I did not like the other two sequels. They took themselves too seriously. Mm. But I think you mentioned, Mark, talk to me because Mm -hmm. I think when we're talking about horror movies from the 2020s, I do think that's like, for me at least, a golden standard. Mm. And Mm. I appreciated the way that talk to me handled like all of these elements that we're also seeing in The Exorcist Believer. Mm -hmm. And I think like The Exorcist Believer doesn't take it the next logical step. It kind Mm -hmm. of is like, look at all of these things, look at all of these themes, and then it like stops. Yeah. Where's the rest of it? There's a lack of conviction and follow through. Yeah. That gets at actually something that's really important to me about this whole thing, which is that I think a, such a huge strength of Talk to Me is Danny and Michael Philippou being like 30 years old and then being really dead set and really focused on the notion of building a horror movie around the anxieties and panics and fears and interpersonal like terrors of young people, the young people they are still mm-hmm. attached to, these lives that they are very close to right. as young individuals, particularly young Australians. And mm-hmm. then in this movie... You have a guy who I think is probably a Gen Xer who clearly, as as has been said, liked The Exorcist and through the Blumhouse <laughs> model of taking the nostalgic piece of what you liked about the original content and then not remaking it, but bringing it back, being a direct sequel to that original content and be like, hey, Ellen Burstyn's mm. here. Let's pretend all those other movies didn't exist. And then we'll just be like, guys, remember The Exorcist and how much Ellen Burstyn like, made you feel for her? Like you take that thing that people have a sense of connection to and that you build a somewhat new story around it. You continue on from the first one. You don't reboot the first one and obliterate it. So this is very much a model. Exorcist Believer made me feel so little. It was just like, now you're doing the ultimate crime of horror to me, which is I'm bored. And I'm just not coming out of it with anything. I'm not even offended by Believer. I'm just like, look at Leslie Odom Jr. doing a good job. Look at these little girls doing good jobs. Pats on the back (laughs) of them. I hope they had a fun time on set. I hope they got a lot of ice cream. Yeah, I hope they made friends and lifelong connections. But if I wanted, if I could compare Leslie Odom to say Ellen Burstyn seventy three, I wasn't as taken with Odom as you two were. I, mm. I don't know. Like mm. you think of like the fire and passion he brought to say Hamilton, right? Sure. Or even something like One Night in Miami playing Sam Cooke. I think those more realistic like scenarios, mm-hmm. I think, play better to its strengths. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I felt like here he was almost like he wanted to be taken seriously for the role, but he forgot to take the material seriously. Mm-hmm. There was a kind of like just reluctant. There's like a there's a reticence to his presence to me in like scenes where I really wanted like the heartache and like agony of what's happening on screen to really come through. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't feel it. I'm curious to hear what you guys think about the thing that gave me the most mental kind of garble, which is the like Leslie Odom Jr. losing his wife in the Haiti earthquake. Mm. I thought that was like kind of random. Here we go with a trauma plot again. Yeah. It's so good you brought that up because it shouldn't slide into history unmentioned. I was like, yeah, I don't know if this Haitian blessing 
then paired with the Haiti earthquake and being in Port-au-Prince, it was like, how did we just mm-hmm. dabble into two things that you shouldn't just like dabble with sure. and then just put off to the side? And then just do nothing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are A plot points, not B plot points. He's just yeah. like, that's like, oops, 9-11. Like, you can't just do yeah. that. Like, that was one of my issues with the Texas Chainsaw Rascal reboot where they kind of brought in like mass shootings. And like, if you're going to bring in something that like grave into this arena, you have you better like mean it. Yeah. And yeah. I just, I don't don't think that movie meant it. I don't think this movie here means it. I think towards the end, you think you can think of things like life after a catastrophe and, mm. and what happened. And there's a kind of optimistic summing up that happens at the end of this movie mm-hmm. that yeah. I do not buy. Like the evils in this movie are inexplicable and are otherworldly. But the real evils of the world are grounded in sociopolitical forces and they're not grounded in like in a doubt in God, which is what Leslie Odom's character has at the beginning. Yeah. And I don't know, there's just there's just an artistic yeah. responsibility and like disingenuousness to me for a movie to say, you know, like just God wants you to find peace. I'm like, all right, well, if you're really going to go there and kind of like algorize your story, you need more than just a kind of like platitude. I would just want to point people to the fact that Blumhouse has put out this exorcist believer and the movie Soft and Quiet. Mm. To me, this movie signals the official end of the horror wave that began in 2014-15 with It Follows, Goodnight Mombi, Babadook, mm. Jordan Peele's Get Out. Mm-hmm. It mm. What was catalyzed by that, the talent and the ideas and all the good and greatness of horror is still there as it always has been. But the way that it is being purveyed by studios and the way that it has now been sort of mechanically being produced to capitalize on a sensation that Almost studios like do not sort of relent now and be like, well, if the exorcist believer bombs, then I guess like horror is not good anymore. So we shouldn't put like the resources into it that we've seen the past couple years. And thankfully, A24 and Neon keep churning out like appointment stuff. But, like, I think this to me is, like, now we get to look forward to, like, the what's the next great bloom of horror that's going to happen? Because I think the last one is done. I don't know, man. My daughter came home from Saw 10 and was, Dad, that wasn't just a good Saw movie. That was a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's fair to say that we have strong but mixed feelings about The Exorcist Believer. We want to know what you think. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what is making us happy this week? This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace. Kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Generating instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. No matter the placement, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Use code HAPPYHOUR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Support for NPR comes from ADP. Don't know if you've heard, but the latest workplace trend is currently sneaking up on your business. What is it? Could be anything. The great cubicle comeback, maybe a global bagel shortage. Dealing with anything is what ADP does best, something they've been doing for over 70 years. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions so businesses are ready for the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. This message comes from NPR sponsor CarMax. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because CarMax believes you shouldn't just settle for a car, you should love your car. That's why every car they sell has CarMax certified quality, so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. Don't settle, find love at first drive. Start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, local amenities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Now it's time for our favorite segment of This Week and Every Week, What's Making Us Happy This Week. Rihanna Cruz, Mm. what's making you happy this week? This is such a funny pivot to make after the conversation (laughs) we just had. Lately, I've been falling asleep to shows on Tubi, and I think the greatest show of all time, and nobody's talking about it anymore, is how it's made. Perfect smooth brain content. It doesn't overdo it on, like, the narration. You know, it lets you sit in these things and watch them happen. And it's perfect to fall asleep to. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of, like, media to fall asleep to, but I think how it's made fits that perfectly. Exactly. Exactly. And that's How It's Made on Tubi. Thank you, Rihanna Cruz. Jordan Cruciola, what's making you happy this week? What's making me happy this week is, finally at long last, beginning The Americans. And Mm. I don't know how working at Vulture in the peak of that show, I managed to avoid every single spoiler about it. I'm going in totally blank. This show, you guys, did you hear about The Americans? It's so good. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's as advertised, you guys. Get back in and watch The Americans. It's on Hulu if you haven't. Shouts out to Tubi. But Hulu, you're kicking around there. Shouts out to Tubi. Nice. Thank you, Jordan Cruciola. Mark Rivers, what's making you happy this week? a show that makes me happy this week and every week since it's come out, but I've been rewatching it lately, and it's Barry Jenkins' The Underground Railroad. And I think one thing that happened with the show is that it came a little too late. It kind of came after a number of more sensationalized uh, depictions of black suffering and pain, pain, like Mm -hmm. them or Lovecraft Country or Antebellum, that's an L&A movie. And I think there was a kind of like fatigue with uh, works that dealt in that matter. I would hope that people would give the show a chance because it is not just about the suffering. It's there's there's so much humanity and beauty in the show that Bear Jenkins has created. When I when I watch the show, I think of William Faulkner, I think of Alice in Wonderland, mm. I think of the sculpturist Elizabeth Catlett, I think of filmmakers like Wong Kar Wai, and but it's all filtered out through this guy's singular vision and. It feels like he is really in communion with the past, in communion with the ancestors in a way that um, I, I think is just so beautiful and so moving. And give Underground Railroad a chance. Um, it is unlike any show on, on television. It's just full visual oral immersion and just avoids all narrative cliches and expected beats. So that's the Underground Railroad on Prime Video. We should note that Amazon supports NPR and pays to distribute some of our content. Thank you, Mark. So what's making me happy is not on streaming television. It is a musical recommendation. The singer-songwriter Omar Apollo Mm. has a new EP out called Live For Me. Ooh, Mm. yes. Omar Apollo has been kicking around for a few years, started out as kind of a SoundCloud artist, um, recorded these songs like from his bedroom in Hobart, Indiana, Hmm. uh, and is now becoming this kind of multi-genre superstar. If you haven't seen his Tiny Desk concert, I really, really recommend digging it out, where he comes out with an 11 
seven-piece band Mm -hmm. and, like, brings in all of these different genres in beautiful ways. There's a song on this EP called Ice Slippin'. It's the single. It is so beautiful and so, like, sad and dark but sweet. It's about the experience of coming out to his family Mm. and not getting the feedback that he wants and deserves. And so it's, it's really freighted with incredible emotion but also just deep, deep beauty. Let's hear a little bit of it. If I'm being honest, if I said what I said, would you hate me? Would you hate me? When you come at home, So that's Omar Apollo. I'm loving watching this kid become a superstar. Uh, This song is amazing. The song is Ice Slip and the EP is called Live For Me. And that is what is making me happy this week. If you want links for what we recommended, plus more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. Jordan Cruciola, Mark Rivers, Rihanna Cruz, thanks so much for being here. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. This episode was produced by Thomas Liu and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy, and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Delta Airlines. When you think about it, half the trips the world takes are trips home, and those at Delta are travelers just like you. That's why they try to make you feel at home long before you even get there.